0: recorded live check test 1 check okay okay Hello?
1: Yeah, I can hear you me forever and fifteen days. Okay. I don't know what finally got me in though. I think it might have been the one four three one nine two pound and one pound again. Well that's what I told you to do. Yeah, you gotta do that. It's the one just the two numbers. The one four three one nine two gets you directly to the call and then the one If you are a TalkShoe member, you will put your TalkShoe ID in to get into the call. But since you're not a TalkShoe member, it's one pound.
0: That's
1: that's what gets you in. Okay. I
0: can hear you now.
1: Yeah, and
0: I, and I, and I, and, yeah, okay. And it's recording live it automatically starts recording. starts
1: recording all of this. Yeah. So I'll uh, I'll do some of what I was gonna talk about because I want to hear how it going. Go from
0: there.
1: We were talking about Atlanta versus Seattle. Seattle, uh Achilles heel the entire season at their offensive line never really got a run game established, never really got a rhythm. There were stretches where Seattle looked like they were the best team in the NFC, That there were stretches where particularly away from Century Lake Field in Seattle, Washington, they did not look like you needed them to win their division. But then they have gotten this far, testament to their coaching and the fact that they still have some great playmakers on both sides of the ball. But they can have some questions during the offseason. Uh, can they Get stability in the offensive line to protect Russell Wilson. And more importantly, can they get stability in the offensive line to establish what really was Seattle's identity on offense during their Super Bowl run. That is run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. I don't think Seattle can win the ball or win the game throwing 30 times a game. I just don't. If they're not built that way, they don't have the tools to do that. They're a run-first team. They should be a run-first team. It's the nature and the character of their team. That's what they're going to have to do. In a division that is still theirs to control, because Arizona split back this year, the Rams and 49ers are in full-fledged rebuild mode. Seattle can still control the division. But this is a team that has aspirations to do more than just win the division. They've got to fix the offensive line. The other game of the day was New England and Houston. Now, this was the game, in my opinion, that was the easiest to pick. Houston was not going to go to Foxboro and win. They just weren't. got quarterback issues. They paid Brock Osweiler $72 million, and he got benched late in the season. Uh, Savage got hurt. Osweiler has to play again. They just did not have enough offensive firepower to even threaten New England. Houston's defense, though, made things interesting. They made Brady look uncomfortable. They made Brady look uncertain. He threw two picks. Granted, they weren't really his fault, but they were picks nonetheless. Uh, had Houston had an offense, the game could have gotten interesting, but the game got out of hand, uh, and then they were really really playing up against it at a certain point, and they never really got uh, they never really threatened New England. It was interesting for about a quarter, no more than that, uh, and they just simply could not uh, pose a threat to the Patriots, but even Bill Belichick said it they 've got to play better they they 've got to play better. 34-16 margin of victory is a little misleading. It was a 17-13 game at the half. Very interesting. Brady was very pedestrian. 18-38, 287 yards, two TDs. But the significant thing, he was under 50% passing. That's not a Brady performance that's going to win them games, particularly as they move forward. Can they play better? They can. But are the Patriots beatable? They are. They're not a... They've been beaten at home. Everybody makes a big deal about oh, going to Foxborough in January. The Patriots lost two games at home this year. And one of those games, Tom Brady was the quarterback. So the Patriots are beatable. And, and if they don't play better, even as Brady and Belichick admitted, they are vulnerable and they can be beaten. So it'll be interesting to see that. But, again, it was the easiest game to call. Um, no Houston offense, no run game to speak of. No real playmakers to threaten uh, New England. Lamar Miller looked decent on the ground in stretches. He had 19 carries and 74 yards. But you can't leave a good offense on the field that long, or good defense rather, on the field that long. They're going to wear down, particularly on the road when they don't have the home crowd to give them that boost of adrenaline. And that's what happened in this game in Houston. We ran out of firepower. The other two games were. Uh, more compelling, and these were the Sunday games. And I'll start with Dallas and Green Bay. Now, the Cowboys, uh, heavy favorites, 13-3, and 3, top seed in the NFC, a renaissance for, quote-unquote, America's team, led by Zach Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott, who I think Elliott should be the Rookie of the Year, um, uh, played well uh, for them. I had some concerns about Prescott. I didn't know if he could get the ball down the field. But it ended up being that it wasn't Prescott that cost him the game. It wasn't Elliott that cost him the game. It was the Cowboy defense. Uh, One thing that's been a problem for the Cowboys all season has been their secondary. Their secondary has trouble in man-to-man coverage. And when they do go zone or play nickel, they are left in – there are holes in that nickel that – can be exposed, and we've got a quarterback that is really good, that's really on a rhythm, that's really on a roll, that knows his own personnel and knows what he's doing, like they faced Sunday, Dallas gets exposed. They got exposed. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: Question for the Cowboys during the offseason will be, will they take some of the Tony Romo money that they're not going to pay him because he's owed close to $25 million? Will they release Romo? They're not going to get a trade because nobody's going to take that salary. So they're going to release him, let him sign somewhere else, or see if they can pick up to stay. Uh, that's been a hot topic. Uh, but regardless, you're going to have some money that will be freed up. Strengthen the secondary. This is a Super Bowl-caliber team. Maybe a Super Bowl-caliber defense. Dallas doesn't have it. Uh, Rodgers exposed them. 355 yards, two TDs. Uh, a ridiculous third and 22 conversion that determined the game. Uh, They had 48 seconds left. And this, here comes the other issue for Dallas for me, was their play calling. Third and three, and you're you're down three points. You're already in field goal range. Third and three did not need to throw the football. Uh, I thought it was a bad call by Jason Garrett. I thought it was not a call he needed to make. Because the one thing you don't want to do is give Aaron Rodgers, of all people, time. I think he is the best fourth quarter, uh, hail Mary, let's win it on a wild play quarterback you're going to find. And when you give Rodgers time, I remember watching the game and, and the Dallas people going crazy, they're going crazy on Facebook, we're tied, we're going to overtime, I had this sinking feeling, it's not over. He gave Aaron Rodgers time, and they gave him time. They lost it in regulation. I believe had the game gone to overtime, Dallas wins it. But it was the play calling, I thought, that set that up for Rodgers to be the hero, and and he was the hero. And so the Packers are in the final game. And then the last game of the weekend, Pittsburgh-Kansas City, Um, if you had told me the Chiefs would score two touchdowns, And the Steelers wouldn't score any. But the Steelers were going to win, I would not have believed. Um, But that's exactly what happened. Pittsburgh Steelers kicked six field goals. And Kansas City Chiefs scored two touchdowns. But the last time I checked, six field goals is more than two touchdowns. And the Chiefs fall at Arrowhead, 18-16. It was a physical game. Ben Roethlisberger did not look good all the way through. He kind of had a Tom Brady type game. He looked good in stretches, but he looked bad in stretches. And part of that was Kansas City defense. Kansas City has one of the top two or three defenses in the league. Reminded me a lot of Denver's defense a year ago that went all the way to the Super Bowl with Von Miller, DeMarcus Ware, Keith Lee Chris Harris Jr. Uh, that, that, that defense uh, was an elite defense. Um, this Kansas City Chiefs defense had the potential, and still does, in my opinion, to be that good, along with Oakland, to be that good. But they didn't make enough plays on offense, uh, and Pittsburgh did. Le'Veon Bell is having a postseason to remember. 30 carries, 170 yards. He had 101 yards, a half. They could not stop him when they needed to. The biggest play of the game, third and three. Uh, Pittsburgh needs the first down to run off the clock. They get it. Roethlisberger hits Brown for seven yards. Boom, ball game. And now Pittsburgh, uh, familiar face, in the AFC championship. So all four games were different. Uh, the Falcons game, you won by 16, but I don't know if you call it a blowout. Matt Ryan looked unreal. Seattle couldn't get any pressure on him. The Patriots put up 34, but it didn't feel like a good 34 the Packers put up 34 against the Cowboys, and they look like Green Bay. The Steelers' defense, which has been their issue all season, showed up at a time that it needed to the most. So now we've got a Final Four, and we're going to come back and talk about that because I, I'm, I'm saving that for last. I'm going to the Super Bowl. But now I want to switch gears. Let's go to the NBA. In the NBA – Uh, we're at basically in terms of number of games at the halfway point of the season for a lot of the teams in the NBA. Uh, And the immediate talk or at the beginning of the season talk was who was going to be uh, coming out of the respective conferences, East-West. And it's it's an interesting, some of it's interesting, some of it's not. If you look at the standings. Thus far, a lot of it looks like it did at the end of last season. Let's start in the East. The Cavaliers are there at the top of the, of the conference. No one expected that to be any different. They have a defending chance. They bring back just about everybody of, 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 of importance or significance. They got uh, LeBron James, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, who I think is their best and most valuable player. Um, we'll get to that later shows. Uh, they've got Tristan Thompson. They've got J.R. Smith. They've got uh, a, a plethora of role players and a coach that knows how to piece them all together in Tyronn Lue. So the Cavaliers are 30-11, and 11, which is decent. But they, it's not a solid 30-11. 30-11. The Raptors are there uh, three games back. To me, the surprises are after those two. The Boston Celtics, 10 games above 500. They've won seven of their last ten, and they're in third place in the conference, only a game and a half behind Toronto. The Celtics are going to be interesting as the season wears on because they've got X factors. Isaiah Thomas, uh, and we're going to get to that in a minute. Got not going to be an All-Star starter, but he will be in the game. But uh, Isaiah Thomas is clearly having a career year. Brad Stevens is a great X-Nose coach. The Celtics. Watch the Celtics. Uh, My only question about Boston is, can they play a physical game if it needs to be? And the way the seedings are now, they could get either Indiana or Charlotte in the first round. Indiana could be a physical series uh, because Indiana plays that physical brand of defense, uh, and and it could be an interesting uh, series for them. But really, no surprises really in the East. The Cavs are going to be there. LeBron's going to be there. He's going to put up numbers. Irving's going to put up numbers. My only question about Cleveland is, can they stay healthy? Can they stay uh, healthy? Can they stay focused for another 41 game? they played 41 already. Can they stay focused for another 41? Can they stay engaged? Uh, and, And, again, health is the issue. J.R. Smith out with thumb surgery. They've made a move, brought in another shooter, but they need a playmaker. They don't really, in my opinion, need a shooter as much as they need playmakers because after James and after Irving, they really don't have playmakers, and we'll get to why that's important when we switch conferences as we go to the West. But other, in, in the East, no real big surprises. The Knicks, my, my team, are in free-fall mode. Lost another one tonight. Uh, and the Knicks just, I, you don't know what the Knicks are going to do. You don't know how to. If there's so much turmoil going on in New York, whether it's coming from Phil Jackson or Carmelo Anthony or both of them or people connected to them. You don't know what's going on with the Knicks. And they've got talent. Rose takes a, a leave of absence. No one knows where he is. It's always something. They're almost turning into reality TV or, 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 a, or a must-see TV or soap opera. Something always going on in New York. They've got the talent. And here's the thing. They're only two games out of the eight spot. They can make a run and get in. But do you really want to get the eight spot and get the Cavaliers in the first round? Not sure Phil Jackson wants that. I'm not sure the Knicks fans want it. I don't. I want to see it get maybe the six or seven spot. I'd uh, love to see a first-round matchup with Boston perhaps in the, third, in, in the three spot, three six. But we'll see how that goes. Now, my favorite conference, at least the most entertaining one, has to be the West. The Golden State Warriors are the top dog. They've won six straight, uh, nine of their last ten. They won a very convincing game at Houston tonight. That was going to be the litmus test for a lot of people. Of course, everybody has talked about it by now. Kevin Durant is a Golden State Warrior. It's old news. He's not with the Oklahoma City Thunder anymore. He is with the Warriors, and that Warrior team has what I said Cleveland needs. Remember I said we get back to it. Golden State has playmakers. They can put a lineup on the floor that has Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andre Iguodala, Kevin Durant, and Draymond Green. What is scary about that lineup is all five of them can handle the ball. Just about all five of them can create a shot in a space that's comfortable for them. They're tough to defend. They can score points. They're averaging 118 points a game. So scoring points is never an issue. My question will be, can they defend? When they need to, can they get stops when they need to? Now, Golden State, uh, the last three ga- their last three uh, basketball games, they have done just that. And let's let's recap those real quick. Uh, let- in fact, let's recap the win streak altogether. Started Sacramento, they beat the Kings by eleven. No big deal. The Kings are a disappointment. Ten games under five hundred. They lost four straight as of today. No big deal there. Then they take on the Miami Heat. They're in the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Golden State wins that by 12. No big deal there. They play the Detroit Pistons. Again, the Pistons, no real big expectations out of the Pistons. They beat the Pistons by 20 at home. Here's where it gets interesting. They had the Cavaliers on Martin Luther King that. Now, this was a big game because the Cavs had won four straight against Golden State. Golden State had a 3-1 lead in the finals. Cavs came back, won three straight, took home the title. They meet Christmas Day. Golden State blows a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. Cleveland wins that game. Suffice it to say, this Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, day game was big. Bigger for the Warriors than for the Cavs. If I would said it. If the Cavs had won that game, they're in Golden State's head the rest of the season. Golden State needed to win, and when they did. They beat the Cavs by 35 at Oracle Arena in Oakland. It was an impressive display from about uh, the tail end of the first quarter on. They just kept hitting Cleveland like it was personal. And they lit them up. The Cavs, granted, at the end of a road trip, tired, want to come home. That's no excuse for getting beat by 35, though. Golden State showed how dangerous they could be. But then they had to follow that up with Russell Westbrook and the Thunder. The second time this year, Kevin Durant has played his former team, his former best friend or whatever, and they beat the Thunder by 21. And then tonight they had the big, in my opinion, was the big test. Houston, James Harden, MVP candidate, Mike D'Antoni, Coach of the Year candidate, on the road, they beat the Rockets by 17. The Rams score is 32. Golden State is locked in. Will they win 70 again? I don't know. But the tenor of this team is already different from last year because they are not focused on the idea of winning 70 games. Last year they talked about, yeah, we want the record. But then they realized getting the record doesn't mean as much if you don't win the championship. So they're focused more on the long haul. What's scary about this team is as they continue to gel and defend, they're going to be a tough, tough team to deal with. And, and, and I like where they are. The real drama for me is going to be in the rest of the stand. Golden State's going to be the top seed. Uh, the, the battle for me is going to be between two and three. Can San Antonio hold off Houston? Can the Clippers survive not being without Chris Paul for the next four to six weeks? That, to me, is a big, big, big loss. Chris Paul is one of the top two or three point guards in the entire league. You take him out of your team, you're going to have issues. Utah is better. Memphis is good. Oklahoma City, good. All of these teams are within breathing distance of the Clippers. Can the Clippers endure? another tough luck situation, and and survive until Chris Paul comes back. And then the other big drama for me has been the disappearance of teams that I thought would be better this season, particularly Portland. Um, I really thought Portland would be better this year. Damian Lillard is a, was an all-star. Uh, can't figure out why they're nine games under 500 and have lost six of their last ten, including four in a row. The Pelicans, I thought, were ready to make that next step forward with Anthony Davis as a not only the face of the franchise, but the face of the league. I thought they'd make a jump. Sacramento is in free-fall mode. They lost four straight, eight out of ten. DeMarcus Cousins is more drama than he's worth, I think. Um, So those three teams right there, I really thought one of those guys would make a move and be playoff-worthy this year. But it looks like they're heading to the lottery again. So unless something changes, I, I, I personally want to see uh, uh, Golden State and Cleveland part three. There's never been a 3 peak in terms of the same two teams meeting three years in a row in the NBA Finals. I would love to see it break the tie. Golden State won it two years ago. Cleveland wasn't really that healthy. Uh, Golden State lost it last year when it was questioned about Steph Curry's injury. Uh, I want both teams to be healthy and just go at it in a series that I think would be epic, and I think Golden State would win it. I think they're the best team in the league, and I can't see them not winning it. Um, and that takes us to the All-Star game. The All-Star game selections came out. No real big surprises for me uh, in the East. You knew LeBron was going to be there. You know Kyrie was going to be there. Uh, you knew those guys were going to be there. DeMar Rosen for Toronto uh, is on the team. The big, big, big surprise for me was the leaving out. There was a two teams, two players left out on each side. Uh, I knew Jimmy Butler was going to be there. Uh, the Greek freak Giannis Antetokounmpo, I, I hope I said it right, uh, out of Milwaukee, he uh, probably as deserving uh, of a spot because he is a star on the rise and has had an all-star-worthy season. But you can only have five. Uh, and to me, uh, personally, I love DeMar DeRozan out of Toronto. I think he's a great, great player. But I don't see how Isaiah Thomas is not the starting lineup this year. He, he, it's the year he's had. Uh, Toronto was expected to be in the number two spot. Nobody saw Boston 10 games above five hundred in the three. Isaiah Thomas is the reason for that, and I'm not sure why uh, the new metrics or, or how that plays out. That had him left off. Good news—he will make the starting lineup, uh, and uh, and and it's it, it's good. I mean, he will make the All-Star team rather, and it's good that he'll be there. Uh, like I said, James is there. Uh, Jimmy Butler, who's been a reserve the last two years, he's averaging a career best fifty-two uh, or twenty, almost twenty-five points a game. He just lit up Charlotte for fifty-two just the other uh, other night. Um, and then the, like I said, the Greek freak, 22-year-old uh, Giannis, I'm not going to try his last name again, he's averaging almost 24 points, nine boards a game, and he's leading Milwaukee in every statistical category he deserves to be there. But I I was certain that Isaiah Thomas uh, would be there. And for the East, it's interesting because LeBron James is the only returning starter to that all-star lineup. He is making his 14th all-star appearance, and he's in legendary status without a doubt. But that's LeBron James. Now, out West, uh, there was... And, and these guys out West are no big surprise. And and honestly, I think all five of these guys are deserving, although there is one that some are saying is a snub, And that one we'll get to. But the West starters are James Harden, Steph Curry. And we knew Curry would be there. He's the two-time MVP. Uh, and the two-time Western Conference champions, NBA champ two years ago. We knew he'd be there. James Harden, who was one of the top two or three scorers in the league, having a career year with Houston. Houston is the number three team out west. Kawhi Leonard, we knew Kawhi would be there, two-time defensive uh, player of the year. The anchor of the Spurs lineup now with Duncan retired and Parker and Ginobili getting older. Kawhi is the focal point there along with uh, LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, Kevin Durant, we knew Durant would be there. He's a former MVP. He's one of the league's leading scorers. He's one of the league's best players. We knew he'd be there. And Anthony Davis, who is off the charts in terms of talent and all that he has, Uh, I really don't have a big, big uh, problem with any of those guys. Now, the one that is getting a lot of noise being left out is Russell Westbrook. Now, Russell Westbrook is, is averaging a triple-double, meaning he's averaging double figures in points, double figures in rebounds, double figure in assists. That's only happened for an entire season once in the history of the league. But Russell Westbrook, halfway through the season, has those kind of numbers. He's not going to start. He will be in the all-star game, no doubt. And knowing Russell Westbrook, he'll take it out on the rim. He'll attack the rim. He'll do all those things that he does. But he's not going to be a starter. Uh, Durant is averaging 26 points a game, career high, almost nine boards a game. Kawhi Leonard is having a career best year, 25 points a game for the Spurs. Uh, Anthony Davis is averaging only, uh, not only, he's averaging almost 29 points a game and 12 boards a game. He is the only player in the league in the top 10 in both scoring and rebounds, which again baffles me while the Pelicans are just 17 and 26, but that's a whole other story. But those are your all-star starters. Um, and of course, I'm going to use that segue <clears throat> to go right to <clears throat> the MVP discussion. Uh, and I have a talked the other night with a good friend of mine. He's a Houston fan. He loves James Harden. Uh, he thinks Harden's the MVP, and he thinks Harden's the MVP based on Houston's record, where they're at, and, and all of that. Now, and that's good. Um, Russell Westbrook right now is my MVP because of the triple double. If Oklahoma City makes the playoffs, which I think they will in the West, the West is not as strong as it's been in the past. If he averages a triple double for the season. Westbrook's the MVP. Now, here's the argument. The one other time it happened, Oscar Robertson did it, he wasn't the MVP. It was some 55 years ago. He wasn't the MVP. So there's, there's precedence for it. Can Westbrook do it for an entire season? It's going to be the drama. If he does not, then the, the award, in my opinion, goes too hard. Because, again, it will be reflective of the overall team success as well. And here's where it separates from Westbrook to Hart. Oklahoma City is in the bottom half of the Western Conference. Oklahoma- Houston, on the other hand, is near the top. That could be the swing vote there for a lot of people. So we're going to see how that plays out. Now let's shift gears real quick. And I have not forgotten Super Bowl picks are coming, but I want to wrap up one tiny piece of, of – uh, Uh, sports before we move on, and that is college football. It was a great ball season. I don't think, first of all, um, the Clemson-Alabama game lived up to the hype. I'm in the minority. I'm fine with that. It was not as good a game as last year's. Uh, It was a good game. Uh, Clemson did not look good throughout. They had stretches where they just looked bad. Bama had stretches where they looked bad. And, of course, the question is, did they miss Lane Kiffin? Was that departure too much to overcome? Was uh, what the transition of it all too much to deal with? For uh, To lose your offensive coordinator who's been there with you for the bulk of three years, a week before the uh, championship game, he's gone, was that too much? Those questions will never be known. I personally don't think it was. Nick Saban would not risk it if he didn't think it was something they could pull off. It's just that simple. The bottom line of that championship game was Alabama could run the ball late. Scarborough got hurt, and he's injury-prone. Uh, but when he was in the game, he was, Derrick Henry would speak, was turning the corner on Clemson, and they did not have an answer for him. If he stays healthy, Bama wins, and that's just my opinion. Uh, but when he went out and could not return, Alabama was stuck with Hurts needing to make a play. He made a couple down the stretch, but they just couldn't overcome it. Uh, congrats to Clemson, Dabo Sweeney, Deshaun Watson on a great, great season of the national championship. What I want to talk about now is what I call the way too early top seven. And during the year, and we'll be doing this on Facebook, we did it on Facebook uh, this season. We have at the end of every week what we call the Magnificent Seven, uh, the top seven teams of college football. And the reason why I do seven because only four, first of all, are going to the college football playoff. And there's always two or three that are on the fringe on the outside looking in. So having said that, I'm going to give what I call is my way too early top seven. And I'm going to start from seven and move my way up. And I'm going to start at number seven. Uh, and number seven is the defending national champion, Clemson Tigers. They are going to be ravaged by graduation and early departures. Deshaun Watson declared uh, the night of the championship that he is leaving and for, uh, foregoing his final year of eligibility. Mike Williams, their top receiver, may be gone. Their top running back is going to be gone. They're going to replace people on the offensive line. They're going to replace uh, linebackers on, on the defensive side of the ball. Graduation is going to eat them up. But I like this one name. And, and I've, I've really grown to respect him over the last couple of years, and that's Dabo Sweeney, the head coach of Clemson. Wasn't a big fan of his last year because he kept talking about nobody respects us and it's us against the world, which I thought was a problem because you're the number one team in the country. That means you're getting some respect. So it kind of turned me off about it last year, but this year it kind of won me over because they were, they were a team more appreciative of the moment and it got them to the moment and they took advantage of the moment. But graduation is going to hurt them. You don't lose a talent like a Deshaun Watson and expect to be in the top two or three. It just doesn't happen. Texas did it after the year they won the national championship, Vince Young leaves, and Texas was preseason number two or three. And I was incredulous at that. I was like, how could this be when you lose a player of that magnitude to your university, to your program, to your team, and expect to still be ranked high? And as it turned out, Texas lost three games that year, and and they haven't been the same since. Um, I've got Clemson at seven. Uh, They've got some tough tests this year. They've got to go to Louisville, and and Louisville's going to remember the fact that they lost to Clemson last year when they, in my opinion, outplayed them and should have won. Uh, They get Florida State at home, but they've got to go and finish the season at South Carolina, which is their rival. So those will be some tough games for them. But the question that will be immediate in the spring, and I'm sure Dabo Sweeney is already addressing it, who will the starting quarterback be for the Clemson Tigers? Because that will determine a lot of how Clemson looks next year. They won't be at the Sean Watson offense because Deshaun Watson was a one-of-a-kind player. So it will be a different look for Clemson next year. But because Sweeney is the coach, because they still have a depth of talent, his recruiting is going to, um, without a doubt, take a bump up. I still have them in the top seven. Number six, Penn State. And I wrestled with this one. I really, really did. Uh, Penn State, I thought, even after they beat Ohio State, I thought Penn State is still not deserving to me. But they showed me something when they played USC in the Rose Bowl. It was the best game of the bowl season. with a doubt. It wasn't even close. Um, back and forth game, Penn State's offense, uh, USC's offense, if you're a defensive fan, if you like defense, don't watch that game. They went up and down the field. A critical, critical, critical mistake by Penn State late allowed USC to get in a position to win that game by the final of 52- of 49, 101 points scored, a Rose Bowl record for combined points in the game, and the game was back and forth. USC dominated the first quarter, Penn State seemed to dominate the second, Penn State dominated the third, USC made the run late and won it, Uh, but I left that game very impressed with four people. Uh, First of all, for USC, Sam Darnold, their quarterback. 33 out of 53, 453 yards and five touchdowns. I had to watch the game again. His poise, his delivery, he looks like Matt Leiner with a little bit of emotion, a little bit of fire to him. Uh, And and he won that game with the Rose Bowl MVP and deservedly so. Trace McSorley for Penn State uh, looked good. His decision making. I'm hopeful we'll get better because with the decision-making, they gambled too much on the deep ball, and with the deep ball that led to the interception, it led to the USC field goal that won the game. If he can work on that decision-making, he can be a very good quarterback for Penn state. But to me, the key of that team is Saquon Barkley. Uh, I liked him a year ago when they came to Columbus that he ran all over the Buckeyes in a loss. Get 194 yards of his 25 carries for Penn State. The Rose Bowl looked very, very good. I think he is a guy that should garner some Heisman Trophy attention. Heisman Trophy attention uh, next season. And then Chris Godwin for Penn State, the wide receiver, caught nine balls for 187 yards, two touchdowns. Penn State is set up for a good run next year, uh, and, and that's going to be the test. How does this team handle the success of a year ago? They've got some tough tests. They've got Michigan, who beat them by 59 this year, but that's a game that they'll get in Happy Valley. But they've got to go to Michigan State. And the reason why I say Michigan State is because Mike uh, uh, D'Antonio is not going to see Michigan State slide two years in a row. They're going to come back. They're going to be good, and, and they're going to be competitive again. And then, of course, they've got the Buckeyes. So Penn State, those three games, and by the way, they have them in a row, Michigan at home, at Columbus, at East Lansing. they got the Wolverines, the Buckeyes, and the Spartans all in a row. No bye weeks in there. If Penn State somehow wins all three of those, they'll be back in the college football playoff discussion, could be in the playoff. Uh, I don't think they'll win all three. I think they lose when they come to Columbus uh, next year, and I think they could lose when they play Michigan, but we're going to get to them in a second. Number five, we just talked about it. USC, Sam Darnold, uh, good. Deontay Burnett, wide receiver, good. Uh, They're loaded. Uh, They will be, in my opinion, the Pac-10 favorite when the season begins. They're tough tests. They've got Texas at home, and the reason I'm saying Texas, Texas was already had a very good base of talent. They now have an offensive guy in there and Tom Herman. Buckeye fans know who he is with the offensive coordinator when the Buckeyes won the national championship. Uh, they got Tom Herman in there um, as the head coach now at Texas. They're going to be very, very good, so I've got them as a test. And then they've got to go to South Bend, and Brian Kelly's going to have the Irish back. Just like I said about Michigan State, Notre Dame, I can't see them being down two years in a row. They're not going to be great, but they're going to be good, and that's all Notre Dame needs to be is good. And it'll be a good test, good game, good rivalry game, USC at Notre Dame. Number four, and it starts with one name. Oklahoma, uh, is they close the season on a run. People, before this bowl game, all they really talked about was the fact that Houston blew them out, and then Ohio State went to Norman and blew out the Sooners. But Oklahoma closed on a run, didn't lose another game after the Buckeye game, won the uh, Big 12 title, and and impressively handled Auburn in the All-State Sugar Bowl. Uh, Baker Mayfield is going to be a Heisman contender when the season starts, but Oklahoma's schedule is not timed. They've got Texas in the Red River rivalry game, and they've got to come to Columbus for the Buckeyes, and they've got to go to Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma has a history of losing games early and then running the table late. Will that happen again? It could because I don't see them coming to Columbus and beating the Buckeyes, but the Buckeyes, they're loaded. And they're my number three team. JT Barrett's got to get better quarterback, uh, but I think he will. Uh, but this team, I think, next year will be about their defense. Uh, Nick Bosa, who is the little brother of Joey Bosa, the, the Ohio State great who's now in San Diego with the Chargers. Uh, the Buckeyes will be good. Schedule is kind. Um, they – the, the only real tough games, they've got to go to Iowa and, and play the Hawkeyes, and they've got to go to Ann Arbor and play the Wolverines. Oklahoma, as I said earlier, comes to Columbus. That will be a big, big game early. I like the Buckeyes, though, to run the table. Uh, I just think they're loaded. They were a year ahead of schedule. I think they'll run the table, and the Buckeyes will be back in the college football playoff. At this time, though, they'll be in at the Big Ten champs. The number two team for me in my late-to-early top seven, Uh, is the Florida State Seminoles. Um, I like the Noles. They're loaded. And kind of like Ohio State, not so much a year away, but they were very young and very good. Uh, They were disappointing, obviously, in in the game at Louisville. Uh, They got beat by 43 points. They got just flat embarrassed. But other than that, they were competitive in every game. They lost North Carolina late. They lost to Clemson late in, in a game where they really outplayed the Tigers. I thought, but just mistakes down the stretch, those are mistakes I think a Jimbo Fisher team does not make next year. Florida State uh, will, I think, be in a good position. They may have a loss early. I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, they may have a loss early, but if they run the table after that, they've got to go to Clemson next year. They've got to go to Gainesville and play the Gators at the end of the season. Then they've got, hopefully, the ACC championship. But if Florida State runs the table after their early season game with Alabama on a neutral field, uh, the the Knowles could very easily be in the college football playoff discussion at the end of the season. And, of course, our number one team, almost by reputation, if nothing else, the Crimson Tide of Alabama. Jalen Hurts was a true freshman, and he looked it at the end of the season. He will be better next year. The question for me is, Will Mo Scarborough be healthy enough to give them that balance in offense? As I said earlier, Scarborough is there, Kendrick, with speed. He can turn the corner. He can uh, get around the edge. Uh, if he can stay healthy, he gives them a great dimension and takes the pressure off of Hurts. Alabama's got some tough games. they got FSU, as you just said. They've got the Knowles on a neutral field. They've got to go to A&M. To play the Aggies, and they have the Iron Bowl game against Auburn on the road at the end of the season. Uh, is it? It could be potentially a down year for Bama. The SEC had a down year overall. Can they get better? Can Florida? Florida looked very good in their bowl game, and and the SEC did not look all that bad. LSU looked really good. They beat Louisville by twenty. Uh, they looked good. Florida looked good in beating Iowa. They beat Iowa by 27 in their bowl game. So the SEC is still the SEC. Georgia won their game. Uh, Tennessee won their game. The SEC is still the SEC, but a lot of people thought the Big Ten was the better conference this year. I think the SEC returns to their top spot next season, and they're going to be very, very, very good, Uh, which means it could be bad news for Bama because Florida uh, finished the season on a high. LSU uh, finished their season on a high. And I'm going to sneak this name out there before we move on. Darius Geis, remember where you heard that name. He is going to get a lot of Heisman uh, attention next year. Uh, He had to split carries with Leonard Fournette and still rushed for 1,400 yards during the season. He's loaded. I said he was the best back they had, uh, and he, he did his thing last year. And, and consider this, for and, not, and we're going to get to the Super Bowl picks. I know what you're waiting on, but consider this for Darius Geis for a second. Their season opener against Wisconsin, he only had two carries for three yards. Two weeks later against Mississippi State, he only carried it five times for 19 yards. A week later, he only carried it three times, but he got 62 yards. Then, as Leonard Fournette seemed to rest himself or deal with injuries, guys took off. He had 163 yards against Missouri. He had 162 against Southern Miss. Ole Miss, he only had 57 carries, but he was splitting with Fournette. He only had eight yards against Alabama. But then with Fournette nursing an injury, Geis had 252 against Arkansas, and two weeks later had 285 against A&M. He's going to get Heisman attention. I said it. People laughed at me. I said, Darius Geis is the best running back on LSU team. And they thought I had forgotten about Leonard Fournette. I did not forget about Leonard Fournette. I just believed Geis was better. So watch out. For those guys, and speaking of LSU, uh, on my fringe, on the outside looking in of the top seven, and again, Alabama 1, Florida State 2, Ohio State 3, Oklahoma 4, USC 5, Penn State 6, Clemson 7, right on the outside looking in, I got Michigan, no particular order, Michigan, LSU, Auburn, watch Auburn next year, they're going to be good, that's why that Iron Bowl game against Bama could be interesting. Uh, Washington with Chris Peterson as head coach, they're they're legit contenders. They've got a ton of replacements though to do. They gotta replace their quarterback, uh, Jake Browning, one of the great ones to ever play for the Husks. They gotta replace him. Um, can they get back any be better? Florida, we mentioned, close the season strong, and Wisconsin's always there. So those are my on the fringe on the outside looking in at the magnificent seven. Now, what you waited on, Super Bowl picks. Who goes to the Super Bowl? And the games are unique, in my opinion. And I'm going to start in time order. The first game on Sunday is Green Bay at Atlanta. Uh, And this game has the potential to be everything like the last game they played. The last game they played, they put up sixty-five points. Atlanta won thirty-three, thirty-two. This is game is. I, I'm sorry. Green Bay is not going. I don't have Green Bay going. Not I bad. have Atlanta winning that game, and I'll tell you why. I just think one, uh, Atlanta has more of a balanced attack on offense. Matt Ryan MVP candidate, in my opinion, the MVP of the league this year. Um. Uh, they can run the ball, they can pass the ball. They have so many weapons to choose from. And and again, I like their balance. If you contain Ryan and try to go into a dime package or a nickel package to try to shut off Julio Jones and those receivers, they'll run the ball on and make you bring your linebackers and safeties up. And when you do that, He burned you deep to Jones. They're balanced. I like the fact that their playbook is so open. I think at home, and I said this to someone earlier, I don't think it's a matter of how many times can they sack Rodgers. It's can they just keep Rodgers in front of it? Don't let Rodgers beat you with his legs or those what I call scrambling, extending plays where he's buying time and receivers are getting open. That's what beat Dallas. He bought time, got out of the pocket. They roll him right, roll him left, and he's got great vision. He's got a great arm. He can make those throws. Atlanta's got to keep those lanes pretty much sealed, extend it out, keep Rodgers in front of them, and lock down those receivers. I think Atlanta wins this game. I think they win it 34-30. to 30. I think it's going to be points but I think Atlanta's going to make enough plays defensively at the end to get to the Super Bowl for the second time in franchise history. I think they beat the Packers 34-30. Second game, Pittsburgh at New England. As much as I love Atlanta's offense, I think Pittsburgh has particularly the best offense in, in the league when they're on. Mm-hmm. Roethlisberger, everybody knows Big Ben's resume. Uh been the three Super Bowls he's won two. Uh he's already established his place as one of the all time greats in Steeler history. Yeah, uh, I consider him an elite quarterback. We're gonna do a show on elite quarterbacks at some point. Who's elite, who isn't who's second tier, who's garbage. We're gonna do that. But Roethlisberger, Murder, uh in my opinion, has has already established his place. He's a Hall of Famer. uh He's one of the toughest guys around. He extends plays just with his physical strength. But this year the Steelers may have the best balance they've ever brought to the table in the person of Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell, and we said it earlier, against the Chiefs he had 101 yards at halftime. And they they could not get any gap defense to slow him down. He gets to the line of scrimmage, he waits, he looks. He's shifty with his legs, and then he hits a hole, and next thing you know, he's got eight yards on. And you're bringing him down, and you're looking at, oh, it's second and two. What happened? If he can do that, and the Steelers, the only area that I'm concerned about with Pittsburgh is they've got to be better in the red zone. Six field goals won't do it against New England. If you get in the red zone, if you get an opportunity to score and put in zone, you've got to score points at Foxborough to beat the Patriots. I think they can do that. For Pittsburgh defensively, can they pressure Brady without blitzing? I, I, that's going to be the key there. I, I think you Houston pressured Brady without having to blitz. If you blitz Brady, you're playing to his hands. They don't have Gronk, but they still have Edelman. They still have LeGarrette Blunt. They can still run the ball. Pittsburgh's got to be balanced enough in their gap defense, and they've got to be balanced enough in their secondary. To eliminate big plays and to pressure Brady. That's always the key with New England. The games he's lost, pressure. When they went to Denver last year, pressure. Peyton Manning didn't outduel Tom Brady. Von Miller outduel Tom Brady. They just pressure. That's how you beat Brady. That's how you beat the Patriots. Everybody knows he doesn't like to get hit. So what you got to do is you got to pressure, pressure, pressure. When you put pressure on them, you can win. Who's going to win it for me? I've got the Steelers, 28-24. I think New England defense, as good as it is, hasn't faced a quarterback like Ben all season. They just haven't. Um, and, and the Steelers are battle-tested. I like the Steelers. Uh, I like how they look. Uh, granted, the Patriots' run D has been good. They have not allowed a 90-yard rusher in the last season and a half. So something's got to give Sunday. Something has to give on Sunday. I think the Steelers make enough plays. Everybody's talking about when they played earlier in the season and the fact that New England won in Pittsburgh 27-16 to 16, and LeGarrette Blunt ran the ball well. Blunt had 127 yards in it. But Brady didn't look like Brady in that game. He only had 222 yards and two touchdowns. Can he do better in this game? I don't know that he can. You don't have Gronk, so that's going to be a factor. The Steelers had Landry Jones, and he threw for almost 300 yards. Le'Veon Bell had another 80 yards on the ground, and Antonio Brown still caught 100 yards worth of passes. So I would like to think the Steelers defense will be a little better. And I think their offense will be a little better. Because remember, Ben didn't play. I'm going to take the Steelers, even though it's at uh, Foxborough. I got Pittsburgh 28-24. And there you have it, Super Bowl 51, or as they say in the Roman numeral, Super Bowl LI, It's going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Atlanta Falcons. For the Steelers, it is Super Bowl trip number eight would be number eight for them, which is the all-time record. And for Atlanta, it would be their second trip. Uh, Should the Patriots get to the Super Bowl, it would be Super Bowl trip number, I believe, nine for them, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Uh, eight or nine. And then if the Packers, by chance, get there, it would be Super Bowl trip number six for Green Bay, uh, so we're looking forward to it. So that's it for this edition of the JApo edition of One Nation Sports. Next time, we're going to strictly do football. We're going to recap the Super. Uh, we're going to recap the conference championship games. What happened, and what needs to happen in the Super Bowl for the two teams that are there. We're going to talk about MVP. I've got some very specific opinions about the MVP. We're going to talk more NBA basketball. And now that we're done with college football for at least the next five or six months, we're going to start talking about college basketball. And, of course, if you didn't know, my, one of my favorite teams is the North Carolina Tar Heels. I've been watching them all season. And I'm going to tell you right now, without the next uh, the next show, watch the Heels. They have talent. They're scary on the perimeter. They're scary in transition. They are a lot like Golden State, in my opinion. If the Tar Heels can defend, Joe Barry the second, uh is the, the key there because uh, he, he the point guard. He's going to have his hands on the basketball, and he makes that transition game go. If they can defend, however, on the other end, I really, really – like the Tar Heels. Um, I just think they're deep. They have, uh, they have a lot of uh, speed on their team. They've got a lot of depth on their team. Uh, and I really, really like what they have uh, going for them. I think if they can, uh, uh, again, defend, if Hicks, Um, And Isaiah Hicks is another another key for them. If Hicks can stay out of foul trouble and rebound, I really, really like uh, them in the interior. Um, Bradley, if they get Bradley back, he's been out a couple of games with concussion-like symptoms. Uh, 6'10 freshman, another guy of size. If they rebound and defend, I like Carolina, and I like them to have a deep run uh, not only in the ACC tournament, but in the, uh, the even in the big tournament. I, I really like uh, what they're going to do. So join us next time. One Nation Sports, it's been a blast. I had a blast. Have fun. And remember, I'm just a fan, not an expert, none of those things, just a fan. That's why it's just a fan's observation. We'll see you next time.
0: Bye.